This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. This morning, I want to look at the basis of what we believe and why it is a solid foundation for our faith. So turn your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 4. It says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. If the word of God is our foundation, it's good to know you couldn't have a stronger foundation than the Word of God. You know, the Bible is just is not just ink and paper. That's not what it is. A lot of people think that, well, it's just a book that somebody wrote down. It is not. The Bible, it says, is quick. That means it's alive. That means that, that it has an effect on those who read it. It has either a positive effect or a negative effect. But it will affect those who read it. You cannot read the Bible or hear it preached or anything and it not have some sort of an effect on you. Those that, that take it and apply it and put it to practice in their lives, that, that uh, use it first of all to bring them to salvation God's way, not man's way, but God's way, it will have a positive effect. Those who live by its principles, will, it will have a positive effect in your life. Even when things go bad, it will have a positive effect in your life. Those who reject it, it will have a negative effect in your life. Those who refuse to follow its principles, those, those who, who, who uh, uh, mock it and, and uh, reject it and things, it will have a negative effect. It will have an effect in some way. It cannot be ignored. You see, the Bible makes statements that are not very well liked today. It makes absolute statements, and it doesn't leave any wiggle room. So, so it will not be liked. It's also powerful. Do you realize how this universe came into existence? We didn't evolve from some sort of all matter compressed into one little tiny ball that exploded several billion years ago, and, and from that we all came out of it. Have you ever thought of the ridiculousness of that thought? I mean, you have to be an ignoramus to believe something like that. Excuse me if you believe it, but that's the truth. It's like taking a, a, a ball of mud and putting a firecracker in it. I used to do that when I was a kid, put firecrackers in things. And you know something? When I blew it up, nothing ever came out of it that was orderly. Nothing whatsoever. And there is no scientific evidence for evolution. As a matter of fact, what Darwin thought was the number one evidence, which was the fossil record, has gone on to show that evolution didn't happen. Not that it did. Here we are, what how many years after? 150, 200? I don't know when he was, but anyway, whenever it was, uh, with all the scientific research and stuff, we found that none of the things he expected to find in the fossil record had been found. God created this by speaking. That shows you the power of the Word of God. If God says something, it happens. So if God says, if you reject Christ, you'll go to the lake of fire ultimately, it's powerful. That's where you'll go. If God says that if you accept Christ, His way, without works, His grace through faith alone, He says you'll spend eternity with Him in heaven. 
He said it, it happens. So, so it's powerful. Not only is, has the Word of God created the universe, the Word of God has changed lives. It's changed mine. I am not what I used to be because of the Word of God. Most of you, it's changed yours. Now, some of us, the change was not real dramatic. But I've told before of a man we knew in Denver when I was brand new in the ministry. I didn't know him before he was saved, but I heard of his reputation. I mean, he was one of the meanest men you ever wanted to meet if you crossed him. I might have been nice if you were on his side, but if you crossed him. It's it's told of a story where one day he was at a stoplight and there was a car beside him and the guy in the car beside him did something he didn't like. I have no idea what it was. He got out of his car, went and grabbed the guy, drug him out, grabbed him by the collar and his belt and banged his head in the side of his car. I knew him after he was saved. Kindest, gentlest man you ever want to meet. His temper and control. The word of God is powerful. It changes lives like none other... Uh, none other force in the universe. It changes lives. And you just look through history and see the lives that have been changed because of the Word of God. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Yeah, It cuts to the quick. It gets right to the heart of the matter. See, it doesn't try and be positive and sweet all the time. It tells you the truth, the way it needs to be told. The sword is also a weapon. It's a weapon against the spiritual battles or the spiritual enemies that we have, Satan and all of his demons that are attacking us all the time. I'm not talking about a physical way, but but it's a weapon. It's a weapon to to, uh, uh, fight in the spiritual battles. It's a weapon to, to use to bring the gainsayers to Christ, to turn them around, those who speak against us. It's the word of God we use. It's not our arguments that are going to convince anybody. It has an effect on those who read it. It it, uh, pierces to the heart of the matter. It divides the soul and spirit. You know, uh, I remember back in Bible college, and I also remember in discussions with various uh, preachers and hearing messages preached and things like this, and people try and, and divide, you know, we're body, soul, and spirit. The body's pretty evident. We can see it. But the soul and the spirit, there's a lot of confusion of actually where they, they separate. But the Word of God gets right to where they separate. It gets right down to the nitty-gritty of the matter. And it discerns, this is the part we need to be careful about for ourselves, it discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. That means the Bible knows what you're thinking and why. It knows what you do and why. I mean, you can read the Bible. Oftentimes, I'm studying for a message, and and I'm reading along, and, and I read something, and it says, oh, whoops. You better work on that. It may not be part of the message, but it'll be something that I got because I'm preparing for a message, or maybe I'm just reading my Bible, or maybe I'm hearing Brother Marshall teach in Sunday school. And it it says, hey, you're wrong on this. Yeah, pastors can be wrong too. You need to get this fixed in your life, or things like this. I mean, it, it knows what and the whys, the thoughts and the intents of what's going on in our hearts. It's God's manual on life for us. This book will tell you how to live your life in the way that is most profitable for you and for God. This Bible will tell you how to choose a spouse. This Bible will tell you what to do once you're married and how to treat each other once you're married. This Bible will tell you how to raise children. 
This Bible will tell you how to deal with your business affairs, whether you're an employee or an employer. It will tell you how to deal with, with uh, what you do in your life. It'll tell you uh, how, what to do when you're considering a move. It'll, you say, well, I never saw it in the Bible. Just get in there when you're, when you're looking for those things and start praying and it will show you. It will give you the answers. You know, because God sees and knows everything. There's nothing that escapes him. How many of you know for sure what you're going to have for lunch next Thursday? God does. Look in Romans chapter 10. Still keeping this in mind uh, that the word of God is our foundation. Look in verse 17. It says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In modern society, we have redefined faith from what it really is. We think that faith is believing something in spite of the facts. Just blindly believing something. That is not biblical faith. The Bible defines faith as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen in Hebrews 11.1. The substance, that which stands under, that's what substance means. You see, substance, it stands under the things we hope for. The evidence of things not seen. If I tell you I believe something, you can't see it unless it works out in my life. So it means it's a belief based on something that stands under it that causes something to happen in our lives. If the Bible says that if we bring the tithe into the storehouse, the church, that God will open the windows of heaven and pour us out a a blessing that we won't have room to receive it. Now, if you believe the Bible, that means you bring the tithe in. And God blesses you. Faith is not just blindly believing something. Therefore, you have to have something to base it on. And faith, biblical faith, must be based on hearing the word of God. See, it is the foundation of our faith. It is that thing that our faith stands upon. Our faith as a Christian doesn't stand on, well, I think this is what God's like. Our faith stands on, this is what God's word says. So the only way that we can have faith is to know God's word. If we're to have saving faith, that is faith that saves you from the consequences of sin, we must know what God's word says we must believe in order to do that. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's the clearest passage in the scripture to tell us how we're saved from the consequences of sin. It's by God's grace. God does not owe you or me salvation no matter what we do. He graciously offers it to us. So only God's grace can save. So how do we get God's grace? God's grace is received through faith without works, not of works. Why? So we can't brag about what we did. But when we trust God, come to him on his terms then he saves us. And and I'm glad that he saves me because if I tried to save myself, I'd keep messing it up. And so would you. And you know what else else I'm glad about? I'm glad he keeps me saved. Because again, I would keep messing it up. The Bible says we're kept, not by our power, but by the power of God. So we must know the word of God. By the way, this tells us something in our witnessing also. When we're reaching out to a lost world, We can't go out there and just say, well, here's four spiritual laws. Because they don't know who God is. They don't know who Christ is. They don't know who they are. 
They don't understand their lost condition before God. And until they understand that, they don't have any need of a Savior. The gospel we know is good news, right? Is the gospel good news to somebody who doesn't need salvation? No, it's just folly to them. It's just, well, that's kind of nice, but I don't need that. That's the way most of these people out there are. They don't think they need it. So it's not good news to them. It's foolishness to them. So first we've got to let them understand that they have broken God's law and therefore they stand guilty before God. Then once they know that, then they've got to understand what the consequences are. It's the lake of fire for all eternity. Then they've got to understand that there's nothing they can do about it themselves. Then when they understand that and there's conviction in their heart, and they're saying, okay, what do I have to do to get God's mercy? Then the gospel becomes good news. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll see that it is the foundation of our salvation. This is Paul writing to the young preacher Timothy, and he says in verse 15, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The scriptures made Timothy wise unto salvation. What I really want to get out of this passage isn't in this verse, it's it's in verse 5. And that's the responsibility of us who are saved, who are parents and grandparents. Verse 5, it's, no, it's chapter 1, verse 5, excuse me. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, talking about Timothy, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. This unfeigned faith, this real faith, this not fake faith, that's what unfeigned means. It's not fake. It's not something you're just putting on, acting like. He says it was first in your grandmother and then in your mother. That tells us why, as parents and grandparents, it's so important that we know what this book says, that we base our life on this book so we can pass it on to our children. Eternity, especially eternity for your children, is too important for you to base it solely on what I say. You need to take what I say and go home and study the Word of God. You need to know that it's true. Not because the pastor said so. You have the responsibility to know because your children's future is too important. Not to know for sure from the Word of God what you believe and why you believe it. We should have a proper attitude toward the Word of God. The first one I want us to look at is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. It says, For this cause also we thank God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. The first thing we're supposed to do, first attitude we're supposed to have the word, uh, toward the word of God is to receive it as the word of God. No man could have possibly written the Bible. How do I know that? Well, first things, it tells you things about yourself that you don't know. Secondly, the prophecy of the Bible is so accurate, no man could have written it. And thirdly, I know it's not a science book, right? Yes, it is. The science of the Bible is ahead of the science of today. No scientific discovery has ever disproved anything that the Bible says. And many scientific discoveries, quotation marks, have been overturned by later scientific study and the Bible was right in the end. So if there's something right now they say the Bible's wrong on, just give them time, they'll figure it out. I mean, they used to think that the way you healed people when they were sick is you let their blood out. The Bible said the life is in the blood. 
The Bible knew all along. You know, when they, when they discovered germs, now the Bible knew they were there, it didn't tell us, but it knew it. When they discovered germs in the hospital, they figured, well, we better wash our hands. So they'd have a bowl of soap and water and they'd wash their hands. And they were still spreading germs and they couldn't figure it out. Until they figured out what the Bible says. To get your hands clean, you wash them in running water. Then the germs go down the drain instead of staying in the soapy water to spread them to the next doctor. So the Bible is a book of science. It doesn't cover every scientific issue, but it is a book of science. Now, if man could have written the Bible, do you think he would have said something like, the heart of man is wicked and deceitful? Who can know it? Do you think he would have, the man would have written down all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God? So if he could have written it, he wouldn't have written it because it exposes us for what we are, sinners, rebellious against God. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Another attitude we should have towards the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We need to understand that it is inspired of God. Do you know this book has the breath of God in it? That's why it's alive. It's the words that, that are written on the pages that are inspired, and they are the Word of God. But, but it, it's inspired of God. It means breathed in. It has His wisdom. It's full of His wisdom. His wisdom is far beyond ours because He knows everything. And you can't have wisdom without knowledge. You know, we, we quote the Scripture often that says that uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But if you take it in Proverbs and take in the order they show up, it first says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Then it's the beginning of wisdom. You can't have wisdom until you have knowledge because wisdom is the right use of knowledge. But his knowledge is perfect and it's full of it. It is profitable for us. We need to understand that this book is profitable. It's not something that we carry to church and open up on our lap when the pastor says turn to and go home and sit on the table until we get ready to go to church the next time. We are blessed beyond people of any time in history in the last hundred years or so. Because we all can have our own personal copy of the Word of God. That's a relatively new phenomenon. Used to be, when they first started printing the Bible, they'd put one down on this table down here. And they had to chain it to the table. So it didn't get stolen because people wanted it so bad. Then it got to where it was cheap enough where the average man can have it. I mean, you can buy a Bible for a couple of bucks now. It probably won't last very long. Or you can come to this church and say, listen, I need a Bible, and we'll give you one for free. But it's profitable. It's worth spending time learning. Profitable for what? For doctrine. What is doctrine? That word doctrine means that which is taught. So it is profitable for what we teach and what we are taught. It's profitable for reproof. That means showing us what's wrong. It's profitable for correction. That's showing us how to correct what's wrong. And it's profitable for instruction in righteousness. That's teaching us how to keep from getting it wrong in the first place so we don't have to have the correction and the reproof. And uh, in Second uh, Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, it says... Uh, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We're to have an attitude that causes us to take great care in how we use it. We're to study it. Study requires work. 
it requires reading this and saying, oh, I read something over here. How does that fit with it? And going back and forth. And, and you know, God didn't write us a theological textbook. He progressively revealed to us his word over time. And so it says things one place, and then another place it says something else that sheds more light on it. For example, if we take the Ten Commandments, we find those all the way back in the second book of the Bible, in Exodus chapter 20. And then we come to the New Testament, and Jesus says, oh, you, you, know, you know about this thing about adultery? Well, let me tell you what we really mean by that. We mean not only if you do it, but if you even think about doing it. You see, it's how you get the clarification as you come along. If you find two things that seem to contradict in the Bible, you're not understanding something right, and you go back and you will find with faithful study, which requires work, that they don't contradict one another. Example, in Romans we're told that we're saved uh, without the deeds of the law. And James says, you see how you're saved by faith and works? Sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? But when you study the context, you find that both of them are saying the same thing. Just over in Romans, he's saying, listen, it's not those deeds of the law that are going to save you. But if you come over here and you have, say, uh, you have faith, the real faith that saves you, it's going to change your life and you're going to do good works. And if you're not doing the good works, it means you didn't have the faith in the first place. There's no contradiction. Martin Luther, because he didn't study that out, put a big X to the book of James and says this is an inspired one to take it out of his Bible. And as we study, we're to rightly divide the word of truth. Rightly divide. What does that mean? I mean, cut it up in pieces, get out your scissors? No. What it means is you keep things in their context and you compare scriptures that deal with the same subject and bring them together and you don't make things apply where they don't apply. We're to rightly divide the word of truth. Keep it in context, keeping the subjects right, etc. Who's being spoken to? Who, who's doing the speaking? The next thing we need to do is... Pay attention to the preaching of the Word of God. Go to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. It says, Remember them that have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the Word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Remember who they are and what they've done for you. Remember that they have taught you the Word of God. Remember their instruction. You know, the, the things that your pastor teaches are the things you're supposed to believe unless you can find in the scriptures that he's wrong. It says that you're to follow their faith. Live according to the precepts of God and trust God in all things. That's what pastors are supposed to do. That's what you expect of your pastor. That's what you expect of an evangelist when he comes in. But you don't expect it of yourself. Something's wrong. Remember their conversation. This word conversation means their conduct what they do and why they do it. Look down in verse 17. It says, Obey them that have rule over you, talking about the same people you're supposed to remember in verse 7, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they which must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Obedience here, we're not talking about blind obedience. If your spiritual leaders take a wrong turn, you should be familiar enough with your Bible to be able to go and say, hey, listen, you know, have you thought about this? This is what the Bible says. And you should be able to talk with them. Other than that, you're to obey what they say. You're supposed to do what they say. Why? Because they watch for your souls. 
I wish some of you would understand why uh, sometimes I'm so heartbroken over your uh, not doing what the Word of God says you ought to do. Sometimes probably this one thing is what makes pastors want to quit on Mondays more than anything else. I have to give an account to God for what I teach you. you. You don't have to answer to God for what I tell you, but you do have to answer to God for what you do with it. See, we both have a responsibility before God. There's a judgment seat of Christ coming. Christians will stand before that, and they will either gain or lose reward. Not only that, but it's better if your spiritual leaders can do their job with joy rather than with grief. How do they do it with joy? When people gladly accept the Word of God as the Word of God and do the best they can to apply it in their lives and in their homes and in their jobs and wherever they go. In Acts 17.11, it says that the people of, of Berea were more noble than them at Thessalonica. Why? Because they searched the scriptures daily to see if what the preachers were saying was true. So I keep telling you, don't just take my word for it. Go home and study the scriptures, and you will be no, more noble than those who don't. No preacher is infallible. There's another reason for you to search the scriptures daily to see if those things are so. If you were talking to somebody that you met and you said, well, this is what we believe in our church. And they said, well, why do you believe that? We don't believe that in our church. You'd be, oh, well, because the pastor said so. And they're going to say, well, then why should I believe it? But if you say, because the Bible says so and here's where, now you've got power and you've got confidence. So it becomes yours. Go to Colossians chapter 2 and I'll finish here. In verse 4. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, uh, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, uh, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. I'm going to kind of scramble that up as I, as I uh, talk about it here. But don't let anyone fool you. Don't let them deceive you. There are those out there who will use enticing words to beguile you. That means to, to, to fool you, to deceive you. That's what that word means. They'll use enticing words, words that sound so good. They'll spoil you through philosophy and empty deceit. Philosophy simply means the love of wisdom. And we all love some wisdom somewhere. Let's let the wisdom we love be the word of God and not the philosophies of this world. They'll use the base things, that's the rudiments of the world, to lead you astray. Be steadfast in your faith. Now, how are you steadfast in your faith? By knowing and believing the faith. See, your faith is what you believe. The faith is the faith or the doctrine laid down in this book. And until you're established in it, until you're established in the Word of God, your faith is going to be a little wishy-washy. You have the same teacher I do. You have the same textbook. You can know it all. So be steadfast in your faith, those, the faith that's laid down in the scriptures. And then follow that which is true. You have received, if you have received Christ, then walk in Him. And what does that mean? That means walk in His teaching. Follow what He says. Study the Word of God so you know what His teachings are. And then follow them. 
I'm going to give you the whole message, everything I've said, in one sentence. Follow the teachings of Christ. That's what it's all about. You know, if we claim to base our belief and our practice on the Word of God, then let's make it so. Let's do that very thing. You know, God has given preachers the responsibility of preaching the Word of God uh, so those that hear it can know the truth. He's given each listener the responsibility of checking out what is preached by the Word of God. Each listener will give an account for what he does with what's preached. We have, or we claim to have, in Christendom, the same textbook, the Bible. We claim to have the same teacher, the Holy Spirit. Then why are we giving different answers on the test? Why don't we all believe the same things if we have the same textbook and the same teacher? We need to check everything out by the Scriptures and then make any changes necessary in our lives. To call yourself a Christian and do anything less than that is nothing short of hypocrisy. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, solidfoundationministries.com, or call 828-244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory. Tune in to hear more biblical teaching each Saturday on Gospel 9, WYCV AM 900.